So failure itself doesn't make you better. Evaluated failure makes you better. Or if you think about all of us grew up playing a sport or playing an instrument, our teacher or instructor would always tell us practice makes perfect, which is perfectly wrong. It's proper practice leads to progress. And improper practice can lead to the wrong kind of permanence or can lead to problems. So when it comes to failure, it's really about failing fast, failing forward, and failing better. It's one small step for man. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. We choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they are I have a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Welcome back to the Super You Podcast. It's the podcast designed to unlock and unleash your superpower. I'm Jake with Equal Man Studios. All of us at Equal Man Studios want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving and Black Friday. We are so very grateful for our listeners and fans of the show. Thank you. Here is our quote of the week. Acknowledging the good that you already have in your life is the foundation for all abundance. Today we're sharing an interview between Eric Qualman and Mamie Stewart from the Modern Manager Podcast. Eric discusses what it really means to be focused. He shares his lessons learned and best tips and tricks for how you and your team can accomplish great things simply by staying focused. Mamie Camper-Stewart is the host of the Modern Manager podcast, author of Momentum, Creating Effective, Engaging, and Enjoyable Meetings, and founder of Meteor. Stewart has spent most of her life trying to improve the world. Much of the time, that means helping others manage themselves, their teams, and their organizations more effectively. Once again, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Super U Podcast, the conversation between Eric Quammen and Mamie Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Eric. I am super excited to talk about focus. This is a topic that I've been learning more about um, but I, I just feel like there's so much more to be said on this topic and I know you're an expert in it. So we're going to jump right into all these good things on focus. So thanks again for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. All right. Can we start by just getting a sense of like, how do you define being focused? Is this something that's like how to just concentrate in the moment? Is this like a big grand focus for your life? Like, how do you think about these ideas of how to be focused? You know, the best way to describe it is actually the subtitle of the book. And so it's the focus project. And the subtitle is the not so simple art of doing less, comma, better. And so it's more about the concept of big versus busy. And obviously, when you break that down, it gets to what you're saying is how do I focus in that moment? But at the end of the day, it's how do I focus on the big things in life versus the busy things in life? That's so well said. And something I really struggle with and my listeners have heard we probably talk about this for a long time that I'm I have a hard time saying no to things because I love to do so many different things and yet it's so true that you have to get to the point of not being so busy so you can do the things that matter so no, for sure and it's interesting yeah no it's really interesting I mean, it's funny because I was just um if you remember Pokemon the Pokemon Go which is still quite popular but at the time it was like white hot I went into a cafe and the manager of that cafe 
I talked to her because I saw a sign. Like Pokemon Go had just gotten literally white hot a second ago. I go, this is crazy. You have colored chalk on your chalkboard in this coffee shop that says, if I drop some incense, which if you remember if that game, if you didn't play it, basically you're trying to catch these Pokemon. It's virtual reality. So you literally could see that Pokemon at the gas station, or you could see the Pokemon sitting at a table at this cafe via your phone. You look at your phone, then you'd see Pikachu or whatever Pokemon character was sitting on that chair and you needed to capture them with your phone. So on this chalkboard at the cafe, it said, drop some Pokemon incense. And if you drop this digital incense, it attracted Pokemon, these digital Pokemon to that location. So a real location like the gas station or like this cafe. And it said, if you drop the Pokemon incense, we'll give you a free cup of coffee. Well, the incense was 99 cents. A cup of coffee at this place is about five bucks. So unless you're terrible, unless you're completely awful at math, it's a no-brainer to drop this incense to get the free cup of coffee. And I asked the manager, I go, this is crazy that you're doing this. And, you know, tell me about it. She goes, I don't know anything about this game. I don't know anything about it. But all my baristas, all my teammates were super excited about it. My team wanted to do it. So I said, sure, go ahead and do it. Now, a couple weeks later, I check in with her, still see the sign, still doing it. So I'm thinking, must be going well. And so I talked to the manager and I said, how's it going? How's the Pokemon? This, this thing, like give away a free cup of coffee if they drop the incense. She goes, Eric, I can't believe it. Our sales are up 77%. So I thought it was great that she was willing to trust her employees and her teammates to do something, even though she had no idea what it was. Uh, and it raised her business 77%. That's crazy and amazing. And I thought you were going to go somewhere totally different that she was like, I don't know why we did this thing. I should have thought more about it. Yeah. And her That's, focus wasn't on fear. Her focus was on trusting her teammates. That is so awesome. And can you say more about that? This like getting away from focus on the fear? Because I, I feel like that shows up a lot in the workplace. Yeah, from our research is interesting because for one of the books, Digital Leader, we were looking at what separates a digital leader from just average Joe or Jill out there. And when we dug into it, it turned out that a lot of teams don't take action and a lot of individuals don't take action. And nothing happens without action. That's intuitive. So it kind of befuddled us. And so in the research, I wanted to figure out like what's preventing these individuals and these teams from taking action. There's a lot of reasons, but by far the number one reason, not even close, is afraid. They're afraid to fail. There's a fear of this failure. But when you unpack things, leaders in this digital era and those that are getting ahead understand that failure is actually part of the process. Now, one thing you'll hear, failure makes you better out of Silicon Valley. They're like, failure makes you better. Failure makes you better out of Silicon Valley. That's completely false. So failure itself doesn't make you better. Evaluated failure makes you better. Or if you think about all of us grew up playing a sport or playing an instrument, our teacher or instructor would always tell us practice makes perfect, which is perfectly wrong. It's proper practice leads to progress and improper practice can lead to the wrong kind of permanence or can lead to problems. So when it comes to failure, it's really about failing fast, failing forward and failing better. So fail fast. When you do a new initiative or you do some new innovation, the best thing that can happen to you 
is it's wildly successful. The second best thing they happen to you is it fails quickly or fails fast. You don't want a long failure. So it's really about fail fast, then fail forward. This is where you actually fight your DNA. This is where you have to sit down and actually talk about it and say what went wrong. And by doing that, that allows you to fail forward because you've learned from it. You can kind of move on. You won't make the same mistake twice. So it's about failing fast, failing forward, failing better. Or if your focus is more around what I call being flossom, that people don't love us because you're perfect. They love you because you're perfectly flawed. And from a business angle, what being flossom is all about is really about, do I have that empathy for you? Do I have that focus on the customer, on that client, so that, whoops, we made a mistake. Second, here's what we're going to do to fix it. Third, actually follow through and fix it. And when you have that type of focus on your customer, that if you have a mistake, but you're flossom about it, you actually fix the mistake, that customer is three times more likely to repeat as a customer than someone that never had an issue in the first place. So think about that. It's crazy. Someone that had an issue actually becomes more loyal, becomes a super fan than someone that's never had an issue in the first place. So I went through a lot there, but at the end of the day is where is your focus? Is your focus on your family? Is your focus on your customer? And so it's really about making sure that your focus is on the right place. And when you ask me about failure, it's failure is always part of the process. You talk to anyone that's successful, they are going to list a long list of failures to get to that success. It's not overnight. They're going to walk you through, hey, this is where I failed and this is what, why it made me better. I love this. I mean, everything you just said is, is so, so important for managers to hear that we can't be focused. We can't be overly focused on the fear of failure. We can't allow our teams to be focused on that. And if we accept that we're going to make mistakes, then we can focus on fixing them. We can focus on what the customer needs. We can focus on what the market is is open to to seeing. We can try new things, right? That energy that comes from having the right focus is in some ways like irreplaceable. Like you can't you can't just make that up. Like it actually takes focus to to move forward in that in that. Am I getting this right? No, you're exactly spot on for sure. So another thing that you talk about is being firm in your destination and flexible in your path. And I, I love that as a concept. And I'm wondering if you can explain what kind of where that came from or, or what it means to you. Yeah, no, I think a lot of us grew up in the world was different, right? Is that you could, many years ago, you could have a linear progression towards your goal. Set the goal. Okay. Step one, two, three, linear progression. But in this hyper-connected digital world, that's no longer the case. Things change too quickly. There's too many challenges. There's too many hurdles. I mean, the pandemic's just one example. There's things that beyond our control that are thrown in our path. And so it's really about being firm in the destination, but flexible in the path, meaning that when those hurdles get in your way, that's super frustrating in the moment. But you've got to understand the concept, oh, those hurdles are for everyone else. They're not for me. I'm going to go around these hurdles and get back to my firm destination. So it's about firm destination, flexible in the path on how you can get there. And there's a lot of examples of what that looks like. But if you look at, say, Netflix. So if you look at Netflix, they obviously overtook from Blockbuster. They started to ship CDs. So they said, you don't want to go to Blockbuster. They don't even have the, half the films, half the time you show up. It's a pain. You've got to return this thing. You get a late fee hey, what if we just ship DVDs in the mail? So they're doing that. They're crushing it. 
And then all of a sudden they can see the world shifting and that eventually people are going to stream. Like, why? I don't need a, a physical DVD in my mailbox. And so what do they do? They do what most of us would do. They go, hey, let's uh, do both. Um, let's do both. Why don't we call a new division? We'll have the streaming division. We'll have our cash cow here that's mailing. And then we'll do our streaming division. We'll call it Quickster. So they come out with this announcement. Wall Street hates it. So the stock tanks, unbelievably so. And again, this is a good thing. It's that fast failure that we just talked about that it was so bad it helped them. Because if it was just bad, they probably would have kept the path of doing both things and not be focused. And they're kind of like, let's do both, which is usually a bad answer. It's a really bad approach in business and in life. Let's do it all. And so what they decided to do is, gosh, all right, that was really poorly received. Stocks tanking. Let's just go all in on the streaming. And by going all in the streaming, obviously the podcast, but you can see the hockey stick, they take off and shoot back up. So they almost made the same mistake that Blockbuster did. The person, the people that they overtook is that they weren't at first willing to kind of step into this new frame. And so that's what I mean about firming your destination, flexible on your path, because things are going to change and you've got to adjust quickly. Or Bob Iger, the CEO, just the former CEO of Disney, uh, same thing with him when we're talking about streaming, is that he could see where the world was going. And he said, if someone's going to eat your lunch, might as well be you. Meaning if, we are crushing Disney with the parks and with their movies, but if we can see that it's moving to streaming, we better get on this. We better cannibalize our own product, and that's how they went with Disney+. Plus. And again, lots of examples. You could look at the iPod. Apple had to cannibalize that product with, their, with, the, with the iPhone. So they're crushing the, the iPod, and they go, gosh, the world's going to move to these smartphones. And that phone's probably going to have the music. So even though this is a very successful business line, we're going to have to eat our own lunch and cannibalize that product line. Very hard to do because what, remember circling back for Netflix, what do they want to do? They, their answer immediately was, let's do both. And that's generally not the answer. You want to be focused on one thing and start to crush that. Wow. I mean, that takes such discipline to be able to say, we've got something that's really successful. But our focus is not on making this one thing successful. Our focus is on meeting the customer's needs or going where the market is going and taking advantage of future opportunities. And therefore, that's going to require us to shift our focus away from this thing that's really working and turn it to something else and let go of that old thing. Like That is hard. Any, any tips on like how to do that? The best thing to embrace is that believe in sunk costs. So know that going in that, there's going to be things that you've invested a lot of time in and you've got to say that's a sunk cost. So we got to move on. I was actually just talking to someone that wants to write their first book the other day. And I go, Hey, look for this focus project. I wrote 120,000 words and cut it down to 50,000. Now I've got to use people to help me. I'll usually hand it to them and say, Hey, you got to cut 25%. You got to cut 50% out of that. Cause it's your own baby. It's tough to cut, but you can't sit there with the mindset of, wait, I spent a hundred hours writing that chapter, it doesn't matter. If we've got to cut it, we got to cut it. If it makes the book better by cutting, I've got to realize that I've got to get that 100 hours out of my mind. And one way I do that to help is I always put it somewhere. <laughs> like I put it somewhere, okay, that could go in the second book. It generally never does, but then that allows me to deal with it better. I'm like, all right, let's move that over. So 
that's probably the best thing to embrace is understand that you've got to move on from sunk costs, that even though you invested time and energy, you've got to realize, hey, we've got to just move on. That's a sunk cost. And, and that works so well for things that are working really well that are becoming outdated and you got to, you know, let go of the things that work. And same when it's not working, right? That fail fast, like recognizing when something isn't working and not being like, well, if we just try a little harder, if we just do a little more, maybe we'll get there. Like sometimes no, you just got to say like, we tried that, didn't work. Let's learn and keep moving. Exactly. Whenever someone says that's the way we've always done it, it still might be the way you're going to do it, but you should always question like, why is that the way we've always done it? And look at different ways to do something and just have fun with it, brainstorm and make sure it's a safe environment for people to understand. Let's just, here, you take the position of this and then we'll switch role playing so it's not always your idea so that I'm not attacking you personally. I'm just, we're trying to kind of stress test the idea. I love that. All right. So I've worked with people, I have some clients who are like this, where they just have a million ideas all the time. Like they're just idea people. And it is hard to get them to focus. It's hard to get them to focus their conversations, to focus on, you know, one idea at a time. What are some of the other things that you've seen people do or kind of seen organizations do to really help when you have an abundance of opportunity, but you really need to just focus? Yeah, there's a couple of things. One of the best is just as this is stated for hundreds of years in different ways, but the best way I've heard it put is take a look at everything. So let's look at all the stuff, all the projects we have, all the initiatives we have, and let's just try to come to agreement on circling the one thing. What's the one thing that if we do it well, makes everything else either easier or unnecessary. If we do this one thing well and make everything else easier or unnecessary for like, what I do, we do podcasts, I write books, I speak on stage, we own some web properties, I own a board game that we do. But at the end of the day, if we were to do one thing well that makes everything else easier and unnecessary, if I speak on stage, that's the one thing that if we do that well, makes everything else either easier or unnecessary, meaning that people will know me better. They want the books. Oh, I didn't even know you had a board game. So that's the thing that if we do that well, makes everything else either easier or unnecessary. And so that's tip number one. The second tip, this is very tactical, but most ideas and most action items come out of meetings. And so what you should try to do is upfront embrace the concept of if we come into this meeting and we add three new things, we need to subtract three things of what we're currently doing. We're not just adding these things on. And so that's a good concept. Any meeting that says, what are the next steps? A well-run meeting will always say, what are the next action I have? And they'll be, let's say there's three things. It's like, all right, what are we taking off our current list of things? Here's the list of things to order to do these things. That's, that makes, I love this. I mean, I love meetings. And it makes me think of something my husband always says about my closet, which is, I can have as many shoes as I want as long as they fit into the, the shelves that are for my shoes. And if I get a new pair of shoes, I got to figure out what's leaving because I can't just have shoes take over the entire closet. But it's really true that like there is capacity to how many things our brain can focus on, how many projects we can have in motion, how many things we can be holding as an organization. And if we aren't willing to, if we have something new, we have to be willing to like 
take something off the plate to make space for the new thing. And we are not good at that as, as organizations or as humans. No, I love that. I love your metaphor with the shoes. Uh, another metaphor that's good is hard case luggage that don't think of your life as soft case where you're cramming more stuff in. think it's hard case. Like it's got a certain amount of capacity in it's funny, one of the most popular things that people have, that I've ever written was something that my wife did is that I came home and I was trying to open a drawer and probably you've experienced this. You're trying to open a drawer and you just can't open it because something's jammed in there. And it's impossible to kind of get your hand in there, but eventually you kind of release it. I go, this is ridiculous. This drawer is insanely packed. And my daughter was standing there. I think she was five at the time. And I go, wait, there's this wide open drawer next to it. All right, I'll put half of the stuff in here. Solution. And my daughter's like, Daddy, you can't put stuff in that drawer. That's mommy's drawer. And I go, what do you mean? It's it's wide open. She goes, uh, you're going to get in trouble. I go, and it's kind of funny. I'm like, I'm probably going to get in trouble. And then my wife came home and I go, she goes, who put stuff in this drawer? And I go, I did because the other one was jammed. And she goes, no, 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 this drawer has to be empty. And I go, what? that makes no sense. And she goes, no, I need an empty drawer in the house. Like I need an empty drawer in my life. I can't have my life just completely crammed. And I go, I think we're both crazy because I think that's genius. I was in the moment of doing the research on the focus projects. I go, that's genius to have an empty drawer in life and not just keep cramming stuff in there. Oh my gosh. We have empty drawers in our kitchen for that exact same reason. These are my husband's <laughs> cabinets or his drawers. And he, he opens them to make himself feel good when I'm like, look at this new thing that I'm shoving into a cabinet. But such a good lesson for life. I mean, I think the other way to think about it is, you know, if you're running on 100% all the time, you have no room for bumps, right? Like you gotta, you, can, you can't be running at 100% all the time. You can't have so many things that you're trying to do, so much focus on so many things be so spread out that something new arises and there's just, there's nowhere for it to go. So you gotta have some space. Yeah, you gotta have that space. You gotta have that space. I mean, it's funny, uh, Warren Buffett, he had his pilot for like 20 years and he was talking to this pilot. He goes, hey, Mike, you know, because Mike had all these goals. He goes, Mike, I just want to write down the top top 20 things you want to do in your life. And so Mike writes it down. And then he goes, all right, now I want you to circle the five. Circle the five that, that matter the most. So he circles the five. And then he goes, all right, now what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Mike? And he goes, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend most of my time on these five. But when I have time, I'll kind of nibble at these 15. He goes, no, that 15, that, that list is now called avoid at all costs. Avoid at all costs list, those other 15. You got to just hyper-focus on these five. Whoa. Okay. That, that like makes you want to cringe. Like, oh my gosh, that's so hard. That's so hard to let go of these things that you want to do in your life. But yeah, I guess that's what you got to do. That's how you get those first five done. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard. You, you got to think long-term. You got to be persistent in the short term, but patient long term. And so literally I have books that one's written and it hasn't been published for like five years because I know that there's certain times for that or there's other things in front of it. So I want to do this board game. So I go, oh, I want to do it for years, but you got to write it out and go, okay, it's not this year. We'll probably do that in year three. And that seems like un-American, but what it is, it allows you to get those things done. When you look back over 10 years, you start knocking off, oh, wow, we were able to write six books. We were able to get the two board games out. And so you've got to just look at it more persistent in the short term, going hardcore, very persistent, but you got to be patient for the long term. And that's how you get things done. And in, in the book, 
I talk about these these focus animals, and the focus has really four focus animals. You have the chameleon. That's someone that's a people pleaser. Oh, I should do this because I know it makes my parents happy. Um, and most of the time, people please. That's oh, let's go over it super super quick. But if you look at uh, an army ant, that's a person that takes on many things at once because they can, uh, but it doesn't mean they should. Because you're an army ant, you get this huge thing back to the ant hill. It doesn't fit. Cause you're doing too many things at once. There's a squirrel, which most of us can identify with. That's like the next shiny object. So you never complete anything because you're just on in the next, the next thing. You're like, oh yeah, I'm going over that. And there's the hedgehog. The hedgehog's primarily more cautious, which can be good. Like the other person at the company. Well, I don't think we should invest all of our stuff in Bitcoin. Uh, but their focus is more on that fear. So they, they'll write that book once they have a PhD in book writing, or they'll actually go out for that audition at Broadway. Once they've, once they've gotten all the armor, once they've gotten everything they need to go into that arena, they've, they've done all the studying they need to do. And so those are really the four focus animals. Um, and I brought that up because I sometimes, I major in army ant, which I try to parallel process too many things at once historically. So I know that. So knowing that I've got to go, okay, we're not doing this one right now. We're not doing this right now. This is the things we're going to do. This stuff would be great, but we got to focus on rocking these things out first. I, I love these metaphors of these animals. I'm wondering if you can give us a couple of tips for each of those for like, if that, if you identify as that, or you see people on your team who identify in that way, you know, what are the like one or two changes you can make in your mindset, in your you know self-talk or in your behavior that could really help you stay more focused? Exactly. So real quick, you've got the army ant. They're trying to parallel process too many things at once. And so a good first step for you would be look at your five projects and just take one off, take a pause, hit the pause button. You're not going to not get it done, but eventually you might not. But it's really just hit pause, hit pause. All right, this is what I'm willing to pause. So that's a good first step for anyone that's an army ant. And honestly, all four, you're going to identify with all the four I went over. I would say you like your major in one and your minor in another when it comes to these. Now, if you're a squirrel, if you're a squirrel, that, that's tricky. You do need to surround yourself with people that have different qualities. But if you're a squirrel, that's the shiny object syndrome. It's remember the last time, the project you're on, that was your most current shiny object before this new shiny object came on. So it's really about trying to write down as much as possible. I will not move on to a new thing until I reach this point or complete this project. So that's very helpful for a squirrel to be able to do that. Now the chameleon, which is the people pleaser, that is just making sure that you're not always doing everything that you think is gonna please somebody else. And so a good first step for that is learning to say no. And so a no might be as simple as if you don't want pepper on your salad at the restaurant, no thank you. And so try to find little wins to where you can say no. And if we have time on this podcast, I can unpack ways to say no better because that's really helpful for all of us. Um, so that's a good first step for someone that's the people pleaser. And also ask, is this really what I want to be doing? Or is it because I think it's making someone else happier? And if we have time, I can talk a little bit about the Abilene paradox about don't guess at what other people want you to do because sometimes more often than not, you're wrong and you're both doing something you don't want to do. All right. And then last but not least, the hedgehog. It's really about looking at don't wait for things to be perfect to step in the arena. So easier said than done. I'm telling you to fail. I'm telling you to go in there. 
easier said for me to done. So one thing that you can do that's actually helpful is your brain's designed to protect you, especially if you're a hedgehog, if you're afraid of that failure, is that you should actually, if you stand like a superhero, so I've done a lot of research on superheroes because of my name, first initial last name, Equal Man. But this, this research started out of Harvard with Amy Cuddy. It was disputed, but they've actually been able to replicate it. And now it's been done in 50 universities. We've actually done it in 55 countries. When I'm on stage, I've actually tested this out in 55 countries. It works for about 96% of people. But one way to overcome fear is, if you're a hedgehog, is to actually stand like a superhero. And so that means you're going to spread your feet wider than you normally would. You're going to take a deep breath. You're going to put your shoulders back. You're going to have your head, head think about string, pulling your head up to the ceiling. It's what you'd think. And put your hands in a fist and put them on your sides. But if you stand like that superhero in that power pose, it can actually help reduce the cortisol, the stress-inducing hormone in your body, by up to 15%. So sometimes you can use your body to help your mind overcome that fear. And so that's a good first step for someone that is identifying with hedgehog. I love these. And I think, yes, what you said about like, we all are going to resonate with them in different ways in different parts of our life. So true. Unfortunately, we have to start to wrap up. So... Eric, can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person such a fantastic boss? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, head of marketing at Travels and the founder and CEO there was Ralph Bartel. He just made me think differently. And also just like, hey, we can do it. Let's go for it. And so if you can dream it, you know, the old Disney quote, if you can dream it, you can do it. So I think Ralph epitomized that. Um, and just he was really good and maniacal about focusing because I sometimes would ask, hey, why are we still doing this? newsletter in a text why don't we make it pretty in html he goes and he's german he's like oh eric that would why would i why would i ruin the simplification of this for for our user base and i go you know what that's pretty crazy that's crazy like a fox um and then we we're fortunate we, we took the company public but he was he was a great he had a kind of a great visionary i've been really lucky i had sean cook at earth like man he's a totally different manager super nice family oriented just understood the balance of life um, Alex Holt at EF Education, they have Holt University there as well, the whole Holt family, but just the whole concept about getting kids to travel abroad so that we could hopefully complete that peace cycle, the best way through education, the best way to understand cultures is through travel, and just the whole environment at EF Education, uh, the whole Holt family, and I was really, really blessed to report into to Alex Holt, one of the and then Bertle, his father. But uh, man, I've been just so lucky during my career. And now I've been doing my own thing, writing books, speaking around the world, doing board games for the last 12 years. So I've been really, really lucky. Amazing. It's, it is really lucky to work for great people. I've had a lot of a lot of people tell me they've never had a great boss. And uh, that's why I do the work I do so that people can work for amazing bosses. So last thing, where can people learn more about you, get a copy of your book, check out your board game, all that good jazz? Yeah, yeah, no, the, the board game's called Kitty Corn, so it's like a unicorn and kitten, and we did it during the pandemic to get kids off their screens. If you're 5 to 95, it's a great family game, uh, real fun, but uh, Kitty Corn, that's what that's called. But for me, very easy to reach. It's just my first initial last name. It forms Equal Man. It sounds like a superhero, but that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make the world equal with all our edutainment properties. Everything we do we're trying to entertain, educate, and empower people to their best life. And so very easy to find. Shoot me a note. It's just that equal man across the board, all social, and then equal man at equalman.com. All right. So I want to talk more about 
the some of the challenges of trying to do less and especially around like the feeling of obligations that we have because so many of us are like, yeah, you know, it would be nice if I could just parent less, but I really can't. Or it'd be nice if I could just, you know, say no to my boss, but I can't. But there are ways that we can say no. There are ways that we can do less. There are ways that we can like not hurt people by not doing the thing that we think they expect us to do. So can you share more about how we can go about uh, doing less or getting to the place where we can we can do less? Yeah, the not so simple art of doing less comma better is, so for the example you just gave with your boss, is that most of us, it's probably want to do what they ask, but we're already, our plate's already full. And so most good bosses aren't all good bosses, but generally you can say, hey, I'd love to do this project we just talked about. Here's my current list of things we're focused on. And this is taking me about X amount of hours per week to do it. And which one of these is more important? Is the new one you told or the, the five I'm already working on? And so sometimes a bad boss might say, well, yeah, do them all. Just add it on there. And then you probably need a new boss over time. But most bosses that are good, it's just like, hey, you just want to know, can you prioritize these for me? And a good question to ask is, what does success look like for each one of those things? And so that's a good way to say kind of no to your boss. Now, for other things, it's really, we do have most control over, more control over our time than most people think. And so the key is, like when we're doing, like Michelle Obama, she said, look, Eric, here's the deal. I've quickly realized when I got in the White House that if I didn't take control of my time, someone else gladly would. So the key is saying no. Now, most of us, including myself, are people pleasers, and generally that works well, but you've got to get better at saying no. So I was lucky during the project. That's what I call a project because I was the guinea pig. I go, let me try these different tactics on saying no. And it really is hard because, so I usually volunteer at a church, uh, our church, to kind of teach the girls, I have two daughters, teach Sunday school. And invariably they need more volunteers for the boys. The boys are a little harder at this age to, to manage. I mean, so, so there's less volunteers that want to handle the boys. And invariably I'd be signed up for the girls and I travel a lot. So I want to spend time with the girls when I'm on the weekend and it's time for me to spend time with them. And they kind of go, Hey, we need some more volunteers for the boys. And generally I'd be like, all right, I'll do it. Cause what kind of volunteer am I? I'm just on my terms. And it's like church related. So it's all bad. Like, Oh, so I'd say yes. But because I was doing the project, I go, this is my time to test it. So I literally write the email, love to help out with the boys, but I, I want to do the girls because I travel a lot. This is what I want to spend time with my girls. So I, I, I'm sorry, but no, I'm going to do the girls. And then I'm like, good, I'm done. Sent that note. Can't believe I did it. Tap myself on the back. I'm saying no, great. And then what happens? Two days later, hey, Eric, I know you said no, but we still really need help with the boys. And this is because I was in the project. Normally, I would have crumbled for sure there. I would have crumbled like a house of cards. But this time, I go, all right. All I did was I copy and pasted, literally copy and pasted the same email I'd sent prior and sent it back. So said no again. Now, what happened was another lady, she wound up volunteering. She switched over. She was assigned to the girls and did the boys. And this isn't always going to happen. Like, it's not always going to be, as my daughters say, rainbows and unicorns. But in this instance, it actually turned out that that lady actually preferred, because I've never done the boys before, but I actually like their energy. I like it a little more. 
than teaching the girls. And so it's kind of a win-win. But for me, that's how hard saying no can be, just in that instance. And only because of the project that allowed me to do that. Wow, I'm so impressed that you like stuck to it. But it's true. If we can hold our own boundaries and say no, it opens opportunities for other people. And we don't need to feel bad about that, as, as hard as it may be. Exactly. And a good litmus test now is if it's not a hell yes, it's got to be a hell no. Meaning that in the future, it's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. And so in the moment, if they're like, hey, you want two Super Bowl tickets? Hell yes. Or if it's, hey, do you want to go to this, this dinner? This has happened, actually. This, they go, hey, there's a dinner. And I, I wanted to go, but I've also been trying to block off time for the kids at night. And so at first I was like, ah, oh, maybe I'll go to that. And then, but it wasn't a hell yes. I go, no, no, it's not a hell yes. When that moment comes, I'm like, and I'll see that dinner on my calendar, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I'm not spending time with the girls tonight. I got this dinner. So instead it was, it's not a hell yes. It's a hell no. Such a good rule of thumb. All right. One other dimension to this is I had a client who was working on a project and she was like, I stayed up all night doing this presentation, like getting it all ready to give to the client that I'm working with. And I delivered and they were like, their minds were blown. They were like, oh my gosh, we thought you were going to do like a three page thing. And you gave us a 30 page thing. This is amazing. And she was really proud of herself for like far surpassing their expectations. And my reaction was like, you did a lot of unnecessary work, right? You did a, a, like they were expecting three pages and you did 30. Like how much time did you spend on this? And I feel like there that's another dimension of this or maybe around people pleasing or maybe around, you know, like wanting, wanting to be really successful, wanting to do well is that sometimes I feel like we do too much for the, for the wrong reasons. Yeah. I mean, what, what you can see is that you're trying to think and guess what that other person's thinking. So there's the Abilene paradox. It's when I went to the University of Texas, it's the thing that I remembered the most. It's, it's, a, it's a parable that actually they've made into a short film. But what happens is that this family, they're sitting around playing dominoes on the porch and they're enjoying it. Everyone's enjoying it. There's a grandma, granddad, there's the family, there's the kids, the grandkids, the mom and dad. And the granddad looks down at the kids and goes like, I bet they're bored just sitting here on the porch. We should drive to Abilene and have lunch. So he's like, cool. Hey, we should drive to Abilene and have lunch. And then everyone agrees to go and they drive. It's a long drive. The traffic's terrible. They get to the restaurant. The long wait at the restaurant, the food comes out. The food's not great. The air conditioning's not working at the restaurant. And all of a sudden, someone complains. They're like, oh, I can't believe we're here. I was having a good time on the porch. And then all of a sudden, everyone had agreed to go. <clears throat> and then everyone started to go, well, the granny goes, well, I only suggested because I thought you guys were bored. Well, I only went because I thought you wanted to go. And everyone goes down the line and says the same thing. I only went because I thought you wanted to go. And so they've wound up in a, stop, a bad spot because no one stated their opinion. And so... Again, it's tough because in the DNA of a lot of us, it's like, well, I don't want to feel too forceful in the workplace. So I don't feel like I'm being a, a Debbie Downer. But the way you can state it is in that instance, what they should have all done and said, you know, I love the suggestion, but I'm actually really enjoying having lemonade and playing dominoes here on the porch. But if everyone else wants to go, I'll go. But I'm actually having a good time just doing what I'm doing right here, right now. 
I love this story. And it, it reminds me of something we actually just did with our kids on vacation, which was my husband made a Google form for all of us to anonymously rate all the activities that we did. Because sometimes it's super obvious we're all having a great time. And sometimes it's super obvious that we're not having a good time. And sometimes it's hard to read a teenager and know like, is this thing fun for me or not? And I don't want to assume. And I also know if I ask my kids something, they half the time they won't tell me the truth. So uh, the joys of teenagers. But it's it's so oh, yeah, important. Oh, yeah. It's hugely important. And it's really just about understanding that, you know, state your opinion as we talked about. But I mean, to your point, it's, like looking at sometimes my family will say, are we going to Abilene? So they'll actually use that metaphor. Like, are we going to Abilene now? Like, does everyone want to go to this thing that we're doing or want to do this activity? Um, so it's really helpful to kind of always say your opinion, both in family and also in life, but do it, do it in a nice way, sugarcoat it, but just make sure that you're not wishy-washy. I love it. And such a great thing to have that conversation with your team to be able to just, you know, share this little anecdote and say, right. Like I want to make sure the things that we're doing we're doing for the right reasons. So I expect you to be honest with me and I'm going to be honest with you. And then you have now this shorthand that something is kind of feeling maybe like, hmm, are we going to Abilene? Like, let's have a conversation about this team. I love this. All right. Well, this is a great place for us. Exactly. That was great. And then real quick, it's funny because I don't know why this jumped in my head, but I was just up at, a, I teach a class at Northwestern, I'm a professor at Northwestern, and it was a new class on digital leadership. And these are all master level students that are vice presidents in the organization. And so on the second day, it's a five-day intensive class. On the second day, I go, I know it's weird. I'm going to ask this because you usually get the evaluations at the end of the class, but that doesn't really help me adjust the class in real time. And I don't really know if what I'm doing right now with you guys is valuable or not. And so I go, just on a one to 10 scale, I want you to write down how are things going and what can be improved or what are you liking? And so literally had them write them on cards, just wrote them on these index cards. And I didn't know what was going to happen, if it was going to be bad or good. The only thing that mattered is this is not your main story, whether it's good or bad. It happened to be good. But if it, it's just like I needed that feedback to adjust real time. And I think sometimes we're afraid to ask for that. And it's invaluable to get that information. Totally. And now imagining that family in the car, right? If one of them had just said, like, the traffic's really bad. Are we sure we want to go? Right? Could it totally change that day? So we got to stop and check in with people. Makes so much sense. Thank you again so much. Such a fun conversation. I um, really appreciate you being here. Oh, my honor's all mine. And uh, yeah, really loved all the questions. And yeah, everyone out there, keep focusing on the big versus the busy. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. 